0: Well, the title of tonight's message is, I will praise you, O Lord. I will praise you, O Lord. When you think of that word praise, praise involves an expression of approval or admiration for someone or something. So when you're praising someone or something, you're expressing approval or admiration for that thing or that item or that person. When you think about praise, praise is communicated in two primary ways as it relates to people. So if you're going to praise a person, there's really two ways that praise is communicated. One is praise communicated directly to the person you admire where you're speaking to them and you're saying you're praising them for some quality or action or accomplishment that you approve of or admire and you're telling them that directly. The second S, so you could think about that as I wanted to tell you how impressed I was by And then you could fill in the blank what a nice job you did with such and such. I wanted to tell you how thankful I was for how you helped with this, that, or other thing. That's a form of praise uh, that is couched in thanksgiving. And so that's one aspect of expressing or communicating praise where you're talking to or telling the person that you admire. You're telling them that directly. The other way, though, praise is communicated is by speaking to others about the person you admire. And a phrase that you commonly may have heard is the phrase singing the praises of someone. So if you're singing the praises of somebody, it means you're speaking to other people, not the person that you're admiring or the person that you are approving of what they've done, but you're telling other people about how great that person is or how wonderful. That person is. So you're singing their praises to others. So the two things we have there is you're you're communicating praise to the person, or you're communicating praise to others about the person who you admire, or the person's goodness or greatness, or whatever you're lifting up or exalting. So, as we observed in Psalm 8, a man of faith should be awestruck. By his God. A man of faith should be awestruck by his God as we consider just how great God is. And it was a wonderful psalm for us to look at the last time we had a lesson here on our series on insights from Psalms. But in Psalms 8, it, we extolled, we saw the psalmist David holding up and lifting up just how awesome God was, and then contrasting that to how could a God that's so great and so wonderful, we saw the phrase magnificent. But how could a God who's so wonderful and so great, how could he take notice or care about people like us? And how that recognition would leave you in awe of God, not just awe about how wonderful he is, but also awe about the fact that he has chosen to care or taken notice or loves or has provided for people (coughs) that he Sees his children in love and he undertakes to make a way for them to both one have been reconciled to him at a point in time when one would put their faith in his provision for their sinfulness but also to provide a way for them to live life in an intimate, personal, close way with him as the sovereign God of the universe. So we observed in Psalms 8.1, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent or majestic is your name in all the earth. And then we went down to Verse 4, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? And we talked through that. And the conclusion was that God is awesome and his concern for man should leave us dumbfounded. Where we have no real understanding or way to explain why that would be. But yet it's a fixed reality that we can live in light of, that we can appropriate by faith and we can enjoy the practical ramifications of that positional reality or truth. So, as you look at God's majesty and God's greatness, and you consider God's interest in mankind personally, and you have that sense of awe. So, one psalm kind of leads into the next in that sense. So, if that is the natural or the only conclusion you should reach from considering the truth in Psalm 8, is that you're just blown away by it. You're in awe of it well, then the natural byproduct of an awe for God would be reflected through the proclamation of praises to Him and about Him. So we talked about these two different ways that praise can be communicated. Well, to God and about God, as you have that natural sense of awe for His awesome, how awesome He is and how great He really is. So we're going to see this principle in these first two verses of Psalm 9. That's what we're seeking to cover here tonight. Now, I told you we're not going to cover every psalm. We're not going to cover all of every psalm. And as I turned the page and first read through Psalm 9, I intended to skip it. Psalm 10 intended to skip it. Psalm 11 intended to skip it. And then I was getting far enough down the road here, and I was thinking, man, maybe I'm just not in the right mindset here. And so I went back and looked at them again, thought about them again, when I saw Psalm 9, 1, and 2 for the third or fourth time, though, I was actually blown away by it, and I thought, what a natural continuation of the thought that we just had in Psalm 8, even though the psalms aren't arranged that way, and they weren't written that way, but still, nonetheless, it's a great continuation of the thought, and so let's read those two verses, and we'll see our theme for tonight, which is, I will praise you Oh, Lord, but I would only do that, and this is why it ties into Psalm 8. I would only do that because I see just how great you are and just how awesome you are. Psalm 9, verse 1, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. So what we have here in these first two verses, we see the the psalmist expressing a general desire to praise the Lord, and he does so with four specific statements of his intentions, all starting with the words, I will. So we have, I will praise you, I will tell of all your marvelous works, I will be glad, and I will sing praise to your name. And we're going to look at those one by one here tonight for our time together. Now, the first part here in verse 1a... We see, I will praise you with my whole heart. But let's just break down and look at, I will praise you a little bit. See, the object of the psalmist's praise is his God. So you can't miss that. I will praise you. It's you, and then we have, O Lord. There's a personal aspect to this relationship that the man of faith has with his God. Because there is no personal faith apart from recognizing what God has done for you individually. And so we've we've talked about that. There's no understanding or having that positional standing as a child of God apart from personal faith in the provision of God to deal with your personal need. And your need is brought about by your sinfulness. And so there's it's not distant and far away. It's very personal. I had a need. God undertook to meet my need. And through faith in his provision to deal with that need, which was first and foremost the need brought about by my sinfulness and the estrangement that was caused by that as it related to him and his holiness, that's how I entered into the family of God to begin with, is through faith alone in God's grace alone, as he made provision for my sinfulness. And you could take various positions on what level of understanding, what level of detail, what level, what level of specifics each person of, of faith understood or had to respond to in terms of responding to the truth that was in front of them at their particular point in human history. But nonetheless, the minimum of that, as you understand it, is man had to see that he had a problem and to see that he had a problem with sinfulness and that he was hopeless and helpless to deal with that on his own. That apart from the provision of God through God's love, love and gracious provision for him, he was stuck and he was hopeless and he was helpless and he was looking forward to an eternity separated from a God who ultimately loved him. And so that person had to have some understanding that God would make a way and if he could accept by faith God's provision to deal with his sinfulness, he could be put in a right standing with God. He could be declared to be righteous not because he was righteous but because God is right and that as he responded to God's provision, he could be born into God's family. He could be regenerated. He could be called a son of God. And so as we look at it, we see that, that personal, the personal nature of faith, I went on for a bit there, but the personal nature of faith always takes center stage as we look at the interaction between ourselves and God's truth because it's written to us specifically. Now, yes, it's written, it's written to every person of faith generally but that does no good to you when you're talking about a walk of faith it starts with what does god want to say to me specifically in his word and so then we say i will praise you there's a very uh, specific and personal aspect to that that we see there from the very onset so i will praise you the object of the psalmist praise is his god so not only is it a personal God, but the object of the praise is God. You note that the object of the praise isn't self. The object of the praise isn't the world around the psalmist. It's the object of the praise is David's God. And so two very important things. So central to any admiration or awe of the Lord is an attitude of thanksgiving is the other thing that I want to explain as we look at this word praise. I will praise you. So central to having that awe Or that admiration of God is understanding just what he's done for you. So we're going to get into that there's sort of a breakdown here between praises related to the person of who God is and then praise that's related to a recognition or understanding of what God has done for you or what God has done in general, but specifically what he has done for you. But what comes from that part and parcel of the same idea is this idea of gratitude and thanksgiving. So to praise the Lord is to thank the Lord, I I think is the takeaway you should have there. I will praise you. I will thank you. See, gratitude is always the byproduct of appreciating who God is and what he has done. And that's why many translations replace the word praise here with the word thank. So many translations, in fact, more than half of them have, I will thank you, O Lord, with my whole heart. In place of I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. Nothing to get hung up on. They're both part and parcel of the same attitude, the same mentality. You could not exalt or lift up or magnify somebody, approve or admire of somebody, see the greatness of something, be in awe of somebody without at the same time being thankful for what they have done for you as it relates to you when we're talking about a personal relationship with an individual and loving God. And so something to take away there that they're one and the same thing. In fact, the word can be translated either way, and it and it was here in this specific instance. So then you come to praise him for what? I will praise you, personal God. I am admiring or lifting you up or magnifying or giving you glory for what? Now, it's not communicated here specifically. There's many possibilities. For me, it was a natural segue from what we just looked at as I've already touched on in Psalm 8, that all that comes from seeing how big, how magnificent, how spectacular God is, and how small we are. Yet realizing that God is int- intensely interested in us and cares for us, knows every hair that's on our head, says He'll never leave or forsake us, and that He's provided everything that we need. He's promised us a life that is abundant in time and an eternity that can't even be fathomed. Put those things together. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And so what would naturally flow from that? And so that's what I think is in part something that you could take away in, in the sense of what are some of the possibilities in terms of what specifically is David praising God for? See, biblically, praising God involves appreciating and then declaring his greatness. So his greatness can be described by, well, there's two primary aspects to identifying or discussing God's greatness. And one is the greatness of who he is. And that would be focused on God's character. So when you think about, I will praise you, O Lord, it's effectively for your greatness generically. But if I'm praising you from your, for your greatness or the grandeur of you, there's two subsets to that. One of it is the greatness of who you are, your very character. And Eric has been doing a really great series on a lot of the different attributes or characteristics of God. So you could say if we're focused on the greatness of who he is, we're focused on God's character, we would say the greatness of how God is loving, he is good, He's kind, forgiving, merciful, long-suffering, patient, strong, fair, enduring, unchanging, holy, true, ever-present. That's cause for praise. The greatness of who God is is cause for praise, for celebration, for proclaiming and lifting up and magnifying the name of your God. That's part of what David is likely getting at here when he says, I will praise you. Praise you for what? Praise you for who you are. You're loving. You're good. You're kind, forgiving, merciful, long-suffering, patient. I'm going through these quickly, so I'm going through them again. You're strong. You're a protector. You're fair. You're enduring. You never change. You're holy. You're true, and you're ever-present. Turn to 2 Chronicles 7. I want to show you an example where the nation of Israel at the dedication of the temple with King Solomon ruling, they praise God for aspects of his character. So we call this praising God for who he is. there 2nd Chronicles 7 pick up in verse 1 when Solomon had finished praying fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying what? Saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Or if you're looking at most other translations, his steadfast love endures forever. Now, steadfast love and goodness these are qualities of God's very character, His nature. So when you're worshiping and praising, go hand in hand. They're very synonymous in, in many ways. What are you praising? I will praise you for what? For the greatness of who you are. That's one aspect of it. Now the other aspect of it is praising God for the greatness of what He has done and continues to do. That's very, as you think about what are the possibilities, those are the two categories really. The greatness of who he is and the greatness of what he has done and then just add to that and continues to do. So we see praising God for qualities of his character. But then you talk about the greatness of what he has done. Now that's generally what he has done in terms of you could talk about creation, redemption. He's done that generally. It's, he's made that available Uh, He's put creation on display for everyone. He's, He's made redemption possible and available for everybody, everybody equally undeserving of it. But then when you come to a personal God, personal relationship, personal psalm that David is writing here, you'd say as he's praising God for the greatness of what he's done, he's probably talking as much as anything about the greatness of what God has done in his life or the believer's life what he's done and continues to do in my own life. That's something worth praising God for, lifting him up, exalting him, magnifying his name for the greatness of who he is as it relates to what he's done in my life in the past and what he continues to do in the present. You can turn to Psalm 118.21. I'll show you an example of this. It says, I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. Now, in the context, salvation in, not in general, not positional salvation, salvation from an actual present trial that was in front of him. You answered me, another very specific action of God as it related to an individual believer's life. Now, I praise you. I lift you up. I'm in awe of you. I sing your praises. I admire what you have done for me as you've undertaken in a very specific aspect of my life. So the question is, do you see that? When when you're thinking about praise, praising God, that seems so general. But there's so much to praise God for. I mean, you could continually, without ever closing your lips, praise God just for who he is then you could continually praise God without ever stopping for all the ways that he's shown up and provided for you and undertaken in your life to this date. Just in this day, if you really thought about it and you were being reflect, and you were reflecting on God's goodness and his provision and his care and his kindness and compassion for you, you could spend a great deal of time just praising God for what he's done today in your life. But then as you reflected on what he's likely to do in the future as he's a faithful, unchanging God who never forgets to show up in our lives, you could spend a great deal of time praising and lifting him up, being awestruck by your God and proclaiming that to him and to others as you thought about that aspect of things. So there's more that could be said about this, but that's, that's part of it. You see, David starts by communicating his praise to God directly. He says, I will praise you with my whole heart. Then we're going to see that he moves on to not just communicating that admiration for God's greatness to the one he admires, which is God himself, but he moves on to communicating that to others. And as you think about communicating praise directly to God, you ask yourself, is that something that I normally do? Now, if it's part and parcel, same word could be translated with thank, thanking God. God. Is that an attitude that you express as you talk to God, think about God, contemplate God's role in your life? And that's something that doesn't come naturally. It's something that God wants us to be aware of, though, and wants us to start having as his spirit directs in our thinking to have attitudes that are characterized by that kind of thinking. You see, God is the most deserving object of your praise. God should be the central focus of your praise. Think about the things that you're expressing approval or admiration for on a daily basis. Sometimes it might be something that you saw, observed, witnessed, and you'd say you'd you'd express some level of approval or admiration for that. It could be at work where you're praising somebody, a coworker for doing an admirable job. I think if you use the word approval, something that you approved of, to to say that or express that to that person or to somebody else about that person, if that's the generic definition of praise, think about the things that you would praise. You see things happening, you can praise it. Sometimes you're talking to a wall, you're talking to a television screen. You hear something and you're like, yeah, I approve of that. I I would lift that up. I would express verbally that that's something that I'm in, in agreement with. Sometimes it has to do with another relationship you have with a ch- with your child. You, you praise them for doing something that you had asked them to do. Sometimes you, you know, in my life, you know, being involved in sports, there's quite a bit of praise that goes along with the what we'll call constructive criticism. Right, Josie? So part of coaching, you have constructive criticism criticism where you're pointing out things that could be done better that's not generally taken in a positive way all the time at the same time you're trying to balance that with praise for what you're approving of what you are admiring or what you think was done well and so there's a there's a mixture of that but the point is god is the one who is most deserving of our praise but he often is the one who gets it the least god is the one who should be the focus of our praise but yet, he's often taking a back seat to all these other things that we're admiring, all these other things that we're expressing approval for, instead of him. And that's not how it ought to be. If you turn to Revelation chapter 4, we'll see a, a verse you're probably familiar with, but Revelation 4:11, we're going to be jumping around tonight, taking a look at a, quite a few different passages. but I think this is the one that stands out to me as just reminding us that there's one worthy object of praise. Very often the things we admire or approve of and express our approval and admiration for those things, those things that we magnify and lift up, they're not worthy of it in any way, shape, or form. And if the truth were known about any of it, we would actually have guilty consciences as we look back and thought about all of the people and all of the things and all the ideas that we've praised in our life that we thought were good or we approved of. Usually with just flawed human thinking, usually with less than all of the facts. You know, plenty of times in my life where I could say that was true, where I thought something was wonderful, only to look back in hindsight. And see, I didn't have very much information to base that on. Man, I wish I wouldn't have recommended that or approved of that or lifted that up, put put the focus on that. Revelation 4.11, what does it tell us? You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power because you've done something to merit our praise. That's the gist of it. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created you think about the things that we're praising, for what? What, what, what was worthy of that, to lift it up and exalt it and magnify it, especially if you take praise on a more spiritual level and you talk about exalting or promoting or magnifying something. You take it beyond just the very general de- definition of praising as just admiration or approval that's expressed for something. Like, what are we even doing when you think about it? You see, if praise is any expression of admiration or approval, who or what is the most frequent subject of your praise in conversation with others? And that's something worth thinking about. As I converse with others and talk with others, because we're talking about praise being an outward manifestation, an outward expression of some sort of approval or admiration for someone or something. So what are the things that most often are praised by this mouth? By those mouths. Something worth meditating and thinking about. We know that it should be the Lord. It should be praising Him for who He is and what He has done and what He continues to do in your life. Those are the things, those that are things that we should be lifting up and exalting and magnifying and expressing with a sense of admiration in our lives. Now, we have this phrase, I will praise you, O Lord, This is an awesome little addition to this verse, though. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. Now, there's two aspects to this. First, it speaks to the idea of being completely convinced of God's goodness. The wholehearted endorsement or proclamation of something requires authenticity, enthusiasm, and sincerity. So I can't praise you, Authentically, or with enthusiasm, or in sincerity, that's what it means, or one aspect of what it means to say with my whole heart. I can't praise you in a way that is most effective or most emphatic if I don't buy into it or I'm not convinced of it myself. That's the only way it's going to be possible to praise Him with a whole heart is if you're first convinced that God is amazing that God is great, that God is good, that God is wonderful. Do you think you're going to be going around wholeheartedly endorsing, proclaiming, lifting up, magnifying, glorifying God if you're not convinced that he's an awesome God, that he's a great God? To praise the Lord is to be convinced of his greatness. And so if you haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good, there's no chance that you're going to be exalting him, magnifying him, praising him, and worshiping him the way he ought to be worshiped. So what's the solution? In some way, shape, or form, as everybody is a work in progress, as Christian growth occurs over time, as the idea of maturation or maturing in your faith is something that we talk about in terms of progressive sanctification, a process over time, the reality is that nobody is fully convinced of this because nobody sees God for who he really is, to the full extent that they should. So how do you see him more clearly? How do you see him or know him more fully? Well, there's a couple of different ways, at least three that pop to my mind off the cuff. One of them is that he reveals himself through his word. He also reveals himself through practical experience as you live life with him. Also, he reveals himself through the testimony of others as you fellowship with other believers and they can remind you or encourage you so that you can understand and recognize just how great your God is. The last way, probably, you can learn about who your God is or be reminded about his greatness by hearing the teaching of his word. Kind of comes back to the same thing, though, his word. So if nobody appreciates or understands or has a proper awe for God because nobody's arrived yet, then there's always a place for seeing and placing a high value on God's word if it's the primary way that we're really going to see Him for who He is. Now, the Spirit of God is interested in us seeing God more fully, more completely. So, God's Spirit, if we get our eyes and we have an interest and we're praying, Lord, I want to know you. Lord, give me a desire to know you. And if God wants to be known and you want to know him, then God's spirit is going to be illuminating your thinking, enhancing your understanding, giving you wisdom so that you can see God in a way that will cause you to be more awestruck by him. And the natural flowing byproduct of that, which we'll continue to see, is that you're going to want to be praising him, to him, giving praise to him, and praising God or speaking to others his praises, singing his praises to others. Just a natural, logical flow of thought. Now, the other aspect of with my whole heart, or the other meaning of it, is it also refers to having a singular focus or occupation with something, or in this case, with someone. So on one hand, it, with my whole heart speaks to the idea of being completely convinced to have authentic enthusiasm and sincerity about what you're saying, what you're expressing, but it also refers to being singularly focused on that thing or occupied with that thing. And that's impossible when you're distracted by other things. And that's why as you are infatuated and blown away by your God, your focus should be then on him. As you see how wonderful he is, he should captivate you. Instead of being captivated by and held captive by the thinking and the things of the world or yourself, self centered enough, self focused, being captivated by God, captivated by His Word, that's going to give you a very different kind of mentality, which we could refer to as a wholehearted enthusiasm for praising God or proclaiming or declaring the truths about God's greatness. That's why Deuteronomy 6, 5, we won't turn there, but I'll just quote it for you. Many of you know it. That's why we're reminded that you should, when you think about what is the central commandment that everything else kind of comes under this. What is the central teaching that God wanted people to be aware of? That everything else could kind of be arranged under that, and it's repeated multiple times in God's word in that way. But Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And we've talked about there's no way for that to be possible apart from you responding to the love that he first showed you. God moved first. Heaven stooped down in the form of Jesus Christ taking on the form of a man so that he could die on Calvary for you. Heaven showed God's love as Jesus became sin for you even though he knew no sin so that you could become the righteousness of God in him or through him. As God demonstrated his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that is the kind of love that we could then respond to. We love him because he first loved us. So as we love God, though we're infatuated, we're going to be captivated by him. As we're captivated by him, then naturally we can wholeheartedly praise him. You see how that flows together? I will praise you with my whole heart. How? Because I see your love. I see how much you care about me. I see who you are. I see what you've done for me. And I can respond to that in a way that makes my praise most authentic and effective in terms of influencing others. You could phrase this, you could think about this as do you buy what you're selling? You know what makes an effective salesperson? Somebody who actually believes in their product. Now there's other things too, less noble. But one thing that is noble is that you can effectively sell something or promote something or recommend something that you actually believe in. So do you buy what you're selling? How much of your heart has the Lord gotten a hold of? If you talk about, I will praise you with my whole heart, How much of your heart is available to even praise the Lord? Or how much of it is captivated by other things? So that you couldn't wholeheartedly praise Him because you're so focused on compartmentalizing your life and you've allocated one small slice to Him. And that's the part that can praise Him. Now, God is so good that He actually looks at that, though I'm sure in disgust. He also looks at that in grace, though, in love and he says okay but let's let's transform let's transform you let's let's keep working to change you into the image of my dear son to change your thinking so that my mind can become your mind now we have to move on or we won't get done with even these two verses tonight i will praise you o lord with my whole heart what's the second i will i will tell of all your marvelous works. I will tell of your marvelous works. See, David now describes singing God's praises to others. So we talked about how he started with the first aspect of communicating praise, which is to communicate praise to the person you admire. Now he's moved on to communicating praise to others about the person that he admires. And this is the only natural response I've already mentioned to being awestruck. Observe the subject matter that he wants to proclaim. I'm going to proclaim you how? I'm going to proclaim you by telling of your marvelous works. Other translations have this as wonders. I will praise you with my whole heart. I will tell of your wonders. The word itself means things extraordinary or surpassing. Essentially, what we're talking about here, though, is a personal testimony of God's greatness. What does it mean, I will tell of your marvelous works? You have to insert the word others. I will tell others of your marvelous works. So how do you have a personal testimony of God's greatness? Well, it's learned through the teaching of others. You can see God's greatness as it relates to somebody else's testimony of what God has done in their lives, but it's learned most effectively by personal experience, through having tasted and seen that the Lord is good for yourself. And as you experience God's extraordinary, surpassing, wondrous, marvelous works in your life, you're going to have something to tell others about. You're naturally going to want to tell others about it. Consider your past response to observing anything or anyone that's truly amazing. Think back to a time where you were truly impressed by someone or something that you saw. You were blown away by someone's greatness or the greatness of something that you saw. Lots of examples of it. You were, it could be a natural phenomenon. You are blown away by the volcano that you saw. You were blown away by... Old faithful when you went to Yellowstone. You were blown away by a person that you saw dunk a basketball. You were blown away by the generosity of somebody you observed at the grocery store as they paid for all of the food for the person that was had left their wallet in the car or left their wallet at home. When you see something that blows you away or that you find to be extraordinary. What is your natural response to that? You can't help but proclaim, declare, tell others about your experience. You naturally speak of it until people are sick about hearing of it. If you've seen something truly spectacular, I I can't even speak for you, I'm sure you have better examples than me. But if, for instance, you saw a motorcycle come flying down the highway drive off the road, skid across the lake, and come back on the road on the other side, you'd say, wow, that was amazing. And you'd go tell everybody about it to the point where they say, yeah, I heard, I know. Yeah, you told me. You told me last week. You told me yesterday. You've told me for the last 46 years about that time that you saw that fish jump into the boat. You've told me over and over again about how fast that car was that you had 45 years ago. See, you can't stop talking about things that you're truly blown away by. Things that leave you awestruck, you speak of it over and over again. That's the natural inclination as it relates to things that you are truly convinced are great. So what's the problem? If you're not speaking of your God that way, you're not singing his praises that way, What's the, follow the logic backwards on this. If you're not speaking of him or proclaiming him in that way, what's the only natural conclusion? You're not really blown away. You really don't see his greatness. You're actually not that awestruck by him. Or, you were and that awe has faded. You've lost your first love. It's become old news to you, even though the first time you heard that news, it knocked you off your seat because you couldn't believe there could be a God who could love a sinner like you so much. And then what happened? What naturally happens? We take people for granted. We take things for granted. And what was so awesome that it blew you away is old news now. And so that's something to consider because that's what naturally happens. The idea of proclaiming Him is found throughout Scriptures. Telling of His marvelous works is found many times in the Bible. I'm going to read you a couple. Psalm fifty-seven nine says, "I will praise You, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing to You among the nations." First Chronicles sixteen eight says, "O give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name." Catch this now. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Why do you think it was that, as we had covered Deuteronomy not that long ago, why do you think it was that as Moses knew his life was coming to an end, he chose to start his addresses to the nation by reminding them of what God had done in the past for them? Because you naturally forget. It naturally becomes old news. How could the parting of the Red Sea become old news? God's done the same or more in your life on a spiritual level. How did that become old news? That's why we need to be reminded of God's goodness, of His character, of who He is and what He's done, and we never should tire of it. Because that's the thing that gets our focus right, so that we actually are going through life with a heart of a heart of gratitude and a heart that wants to sing His praises. You see, this is another way of describing the believer's mission. I will tell of Your marvelous works. That's your mission. It's another way of saying it. How how is that any different than 1 Corinthians one twenty three that says, "But we preach, and most translations have proclaimed Christ crucified." Not to the Jews, it's a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, it's foolishness, is how that verse ends. But the mission is, we proclaim Christ crucified. How is that any different than saying, I will tell of your marvelous works? That's what singing his praises involves, especially as we look at it from the dispensation of grace in the church age. 2 Corinthians 5.20, you know it well. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It's your mission to tell of your marvelous works. We have this detail now looking backward from the cross or at at the cross instead of looking forward. We have more detail. But how could you be singing his praises or telling of his marvelous works without speaking of Christ and Him crucified, and how great the work, the sacrifice of Jesus was. And then you think about how often should I be singing His praises? If that's my mission, if that's every believer's mission, how often? Well, it should be constant. Constant. Turn to Psalm 34. Look at Psalm 34, verse 1. says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. There's a song on the radio, fairly recent, that says, your praise will ever be on my lips. It's a quote of another variation, another translation of the same verse. Your praise will ever be on my lips. That's how often I will be fulfilling my mission to live to lift him up, to let my life be a song to you, to tell of your marvelous works. So the question is, are you filled with excitement? Are you chomping at the bit to proclaim the marvelous works of your God to others? That's why I love that old song, The Faith. I love to tell the story will be my theme in glory to tell the old old story of Jesus and his love do you love to tell that story do you love to sing of his marvelous works into the lives of the people that God has put you in contact with Now, what's the next part of this? Verse 2a says, I will be glad and rejoice in you. So, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. Next, I will tell others of all your marvelous works. Next, I will be glad and rejoice in you. See, as you recognize and appreciate the greatness of your God, it follows this kind of progression. You naturally declare or proclaim to God and others admiration, approval, and appreciation for who God is and what he has done. That's the first response, the first natural response. Then you naturally declare God's greatness to others. Then you naturally are filled with gladness and joy. One follows the next. So I will be glad is a natural byproduct of a heart of praise. A wholehearted mentality of praise for who God is and what he has done will leave you glad and filled with joy. You find your happiness and joy in God. I will be glad and rejoice, note this, in you. I'm not finding my happiness and my joy in my circumstances. I'm not finding my happiness and my joy in myself. I'm finding it in my God, who he is and what he's done for me. And, and that's why the circumstances have nothing whatsoever to do with your happiness, have nothing whatsoever to do with your joy, not as God sees things. Does it mean they're easy? No, they can be really hard. But do they have to rob you of your joy? The answer is no, not for the man and woman of faith. That's why the psalmist can say in Psalm one eighteen twenty four, this is the day the Lord has made. We will be glad and rejoice in it. Does it say anything about the trials of that day, the hardships of that day, the circumstances of that day? No, we can be glad for the day that the Lord has given us because of who He is and what He's done on an on a eternal plane, on a vertical plane, because it has nothing to do with the horizontal. See, this phrase, in you, is loaded with meaning. It refers to God's character, God's provision, the believer's position, has God's child under his loving care. I can be glad and rejoice in you because of who you are, how you've provided for me, how I'm a a child of yours. I have a position in your family, how you lovingly and tenderly and softly care for me. Now, what do we end with? I will sing praise to your name. So we have, I will praise you I will tell of all your marvelous works to others. I will be glad and rejoice in you, and I will sing praise to your name. And he ends with, O most high, which is a, a a phrase of exaltation for God. See, now follow this flow of thought now as we add one more to this natural progression. So as you recognize and appreciate the greatness of your God, first thing, you naturally declare or proclaim again to God, and others admiration, approval, and appreciation for who God is and what he has done. Then you naturally declare God's greatness to others. I guess I shouldn't have had that in the first one. So you start by proclaiming to God your admiration, approval, and appreciation for who he is and what he's done. Then you naturally declare God's greatness to others. As a result of that, a continuation of that, you naturally are filled with gladness and joy as you're reflecting on and appreciating and recognizing the greatness of your God Last step in that, you naturally sing praises to the Lord directly and praises that proclaim God's greatness to others. Turn to 2 Samuel 22.50. We'll end there tonight. Second 2 Samuel 22.50. David is speaking there as well. I hope you're seeing this flow of thought though how one thing is the continuation of the next is the continuation of the next. How they go hand in hand. So David is speaking in 2 Samuel 22.50. I don't know if I gave you, sounds like some page turning. I'll give you a little bit more time. But David says this, Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. Very similar language, very similar idea, very similar to where we get the phrase to sing someone's praises. Where do you think it came from? It came from the Word of God. As so many phrases and words are borrowed from Scripture, to sing someone's praises... This is what we're talking about. It's not to sing someone's praises. It's to sing his praises. I'm going to write songs about you. I'm going to sing about you and your greatness and your goodness and your majesty and how awesome you really are. But I'm going to do that because I recognize and appreciate I'm awestruck. I appreciate and recognize and understand how great you are. I'm reflecting on how that has influenced my life. How how you've provided for me specifically. That's going to cause me to be excited and want to share that and, and sing that into the lives of the people that God brings into my life. To the point where people say, Yeah, you told me. Yeah, I heard about I heard about that. Yeah, I know how impressed you are with your God. So do you recognize? And appreciate the greatness of your God. Greatness as it relates to his person, his character. Greatness as it relates to his work, especially as it relates to you personally. See, awe for God is reflected through the proclamation of praises to him and about him. And failure to praise him is caused by never really understanding how amazing, great, majestic, and awesome he is or forgetting how how amazing, great, majestic, and awesome He is. Do you understand how amazing, great, majestic, and awesome your God is? If you don't read His Word, He tells you how majestic He is in His Word. Have you forgotten how amazing, great, majestic, and awesome your God is? Let this be a great reminder tonight. You see, your understanding of this truth is critical to your spiritual well-being and growth. But you should be singing his praises. He's the one who deserves to be praised. He's the one who's worthy of it. So being reminded of just how awesome he is by God's grace is gonna influence your thinking so that you can begin to sing his praises in the way David describes here in Psalm 9, 1 and 2. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you for how wonderful you are. Pray that it would have an impact on us so that we would see that our mission is to live, to lift you up, to live in a way that magnifies you, that puts the spotlight on you, that we're to live as ambassadors for you, proclaiming and praising your goodness and greatness and awesomeness to people around us. As you've given us the ministry of being light bearers for you, to shine your light into the darkness. And we do that by singing your praises and telling people just how awesome you are. Pray that we would take that to heart, that we would see that our lives aren't pointless. Our lives are filled with purpose. Pray that we wouldn't try to find that purpose in the wrong things, but that we would see our purpose as exalting you and lifting you up. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay.